open up, if you will, to the book of Genesis. Heather spoke about Revelation. I'll just reassure you that we're not speaking from Genesis through to Revelation today. Just in case you're wondering, we're not going to go that long. Genesis chapter 4. And uh, today I'd just like to talk about um, a subject that we see throughout the scriptures. It's calling on the name of the Lord. Uh, interestingly, in her testimony, Anne spoke about this when uh, she was having prayer for her daughter. She said, and I called upon the name of the Lord. And that has a bit of a significant meaning to us when we understand what those words actually mean. Here in Genesis chapter 4, um, just uh, to set the scene, so we've had uh, Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, we've had uh, Cain and Abel uh, with uh, Cain uh, slaying Abel, we've had uh, Seth now born uh, and Cain banished uh, uh, and so on. So all of that's taken place here. And just the last verse of chapter 4, verse 26 says, and to Seth, to him also there was born a son, and his name, uh, called his name Enos. Then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. And uh, that's the first time in all of the scriptures that we read that term that men began to call upon the name of the Lord. We actually can look into the New Testament and see that this is a term that is also used. Uh, the book of Joel refers to it and uh, we find Peter refers to it then in the book of Acts in chapter 2 and uh, we also read of it in Romans chapter 10 uh, whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved but uh, a lot of people think about that in a very general term but the Lord is being very very specific in the words that are being used for us and that's what we want to understand a little bit more uh, today. I guess the first point to bring out is that we can turn here to the book of Genesis and the very early chapters of Genesis here where God started to establish a relationship with mankind and he's always wanted that relationship with mankind. But of course it's on God's terms and in God's way it's not in our own. And so we find that uh, as Adam and Eve had this relationship with God uh, talking to them, as we can read there in the cool of the day and so on, that uh, there was this conversation ongoing between Adam and the Lord uh, and there was this relationship that was being established there and that was broken, as uh, we know, uh, as took place. I don't particularly want to dwell on those things. And uh, as we see also with Cain, rising up and killing his brother and then uh, uh, the punishment that came upon him. But Seth is the one then that uh, comes along and as uh, we read here, Enos is born to him. The words are not without significance, no name in the Bible particularly. There are some that uh, maybe just have little bearing on the individual so much. Uh, but when we read here, uh, Seth actually means from memory replacement or something to that effect. Uh, and then uh, Enos um, is named here, and his name just simply means mortal man, mortal man. And mortal man realises he's mortal. <laughs> he's weak. 
in ourselves. Now, as we look at ourselves, we know that uh, uh, we have a certain lifespan here on earth. We can achieve great things while we're here, but we're always living with this end point in mind. Death is coming. There is a time at which we will all eventually die. However young we are today, that day is always going to be something that marks the end of this existence in this life. There is that subject to mortality that we all face. And as we read in the verse here, men began to call upon the name of the Lord. Um, Now that word there, Lord, you might notice in your Bible, um, it is capitalised. Is that the same in everyone's Bible that you're looking at here? And uh, it's not actually a word as we know. It's just four letters. The letters are Y-H-W-H. Vowels are added to it. And as vowels are added, then names are created, if you like. So one of the names, and I don't particularly want to go into a technical aspect of uh, looking at this particularly today, um, but we can look at some of those names. One of them is Jehovah comes from these four letters by adding vowels into the letters to form the name Jehovah. Now, we know the name Jehovah because it is one that's used of God, but anybody like to tell me how many times the word Jehovah is actually used in the Scriptures? Zero? It's not actually zero. Yep, but it is used. Sorry? Yep. Yeah, it is. It's uh, used four times. Get my right number of fingers. You had that, did you? Uh, thanks, Michael. Four times it's actually used in the Bible. How many times is this word YHWH? How many times is that used? Anyone know? Let me write it down here. Anyone want to know? Yes, and? One? No, a few more than that. You're going to say one? Two, two hundred, three hundred. We're heading in the right direction, I might add. Anyone want to hazard a, another guess? Three hundred. Who'll give me four? Who'll give me five? <laughs> uh, try, uh, I did write it down here, 6,828 times. I don't know whether that surprises you. But as we read through, and by the way, it's limited to the Old Testament. It's not a word that we find in the New Testament. We'll look at that a little bit later. Um, So when we look at this word, it is one that is repeated time and time and time again through the Scriptures. Turn to uh, the book of Genesis still, chapter 12 this time, and we'll just uh, start here in verse 1, story of Abram before he becomes Abraham. Says now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of your country and from your father's kindred and from your father's house unto a land that I will show you, and I'll make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing, and I'll bless them that bless you and curse him that curses you, and in you shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was seventy-five years old when he departed out of Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their substance that they had gathered, 
and the souls that they had gotten in Haran. And they went forth to go into the land of Canaan, and into the land of Canaan they came. And Abram passed through the land unto the place of Sikkim, unto the plain of Moray, and the Canaanite was then in the land. And the Lord appeared unto Abram, and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. And there builded he an altar unto the Lord, who appeared unto him. And he removed from thence unto a mountain on the east of Bethel, and pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west, and Hai on the east. And there he builded an altar unto the Lord, and called upon the name of the Lord. And so we see a repeat of this statement as we read back in Genesis chapter 4 verse 26, where in this case, Abram starts to call upon the name of the Lord. Now, perhaps the picture is important to uh, portray here that what's taking place. So Abram is called by God. Now, Abram's living in a completely different part of the world. Uh, from memory, <clears throat> excuse me, it's around 900 kilometres or so away where he is living. So he's told, you need to leave this place. I need you to transfer and I want you to live in a completely different area. It's called Canaan. Go there because I've told you to. Now, I don't know about you, but if somebody told me to do that, I'd be thinking, what's it like? What's the climate? Will I like it? Will I be able to build a house or buy a house? Will I be able to survive? Can I get food? And all these questions would be going through your mind. And so I'm sure that all of this happened for Abram, but he knew that God had called him and told him what to do. And so here we read that he begins to call upon the name of the Lord. I need some help here. Where do I find help? Who's going to guide me? Who's going to assist me when I get there if there's enemy that don't like me being here and they're going to fight against me? And all of these things would have been there in his mind. So what does he do? He calls upon the name of the Lord. He asks for help from God. And if you like, from right in the very beginning of the Bible, this is a process we see that takes place throughout the scriptures and ultimately into our modern life today. And in talking about this a little bit more as we go. Turn up to the next book, the book of Exodus, chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. Now, time has moved on for the story that uh, we're reading. Uh, so Abram, his name is changed to Abraham, Sarai to Sarah. Uh, they have Isaac as a son. Isaac has another son called Jacob. Jacob, uh, his name is changed to Israel. He has 12 sons. They uh, sell one of those sons into slavery. Uh, he then uh, eventually we see uh, Joseph comes across to Egypt. Uh, providentially for the nation that was to become Israel and that uh, they're made a slave nation inside Egypt. So within Egypt went now and uh, Moses is called out by God to be the one to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt back into the land of Canaan where Abraham initially had that promise given to him. There's so much more in that passage, by the way, in chapter 12. We don't have time to go through it all. Here in uh, Exodus chapter 3, Moses is now called by God. 
And as we read here, he uh, has doubt about what am I meant to be doing here? And so God encourages him. And we read of this in verse 11. Moses said unto God, Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, Certainly I'll be with you, and this shall be the token unto you that I have sent you. When you have brought forth the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God upon this mountain. Now, being a logical person, I'm sure Moses heard all of that and said, yeah, I get that bit. That's what you want me to do afterwards. But how do I do the bit in between? That is leading the children of Israel out of Egypt. Now, the Egyptians, they've got a big army and uh, they're not going to easily give away their slaves to leave. I'm sure all of that went through his head. In verse 13, Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel and say unto them, The God of your fathers has sent me unto you, and they shall say to me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shall you say unto the children of Israel, I am has sent you. And I can just imagine uh, Moses being utterly confused at these words. So you want me to go there and you want me to say some person, God, who says his name's I am, has sent me and that's going to make all the difference. I don't know about you, but as I hear those words, I'm maybe not convinced. I'm sure Moses wasn't. We know he wasn't. In verse 15, God said moreover unto Moses, Thus shall you say unto the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me unto you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial unto all generations. And now we're giving a, a little bit more of an information, or a bit more information here, on which Moses, no doubt, had something to work with. He was speaking, of course, of what the children of Israel, what they would say unto him, why would they want to follow me out of Egypt? And uh, the Lord says, actually, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. I'm the same God that was with them, that ultimately blessed them, fulfilled my promises to them and as a result, they are the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And this is my name forever, he says. This is my memorial unto all generations. What is meant by that? God is a God who keeps his promises. And this is, if there's one thing to get out of today's thoughts from the scriptures, that is the God that we worship a God who gives us promises, a God who keeps his promises, as he did to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. In the New Testament, of course, we read Jesus speaking of this, calling him the God of the living and not the God of the dead, one that is alive and continues. In fact, going back to that statement, I am that I am is referring to uh, the Lord being the self-existent one. 
the one that existed before time began and brought all things into being. We can actually read of that back in Genesis chapter 2, verse 4, that it was the Lord uh, identified YHWH as being the one that brought all things into existence. Why is that name then used throughout the Old Testament so uh, thoroughly as it is? Turn up to Exodus chapter 6. You probably are thinking now that we are going to go through each book of the Bible. We haven't got out of Exodus yet. I can reassure you we'll skip forward shortly. In verse 1, we read, Then the Lord said unto Moses, Notice again that word Lord capitalized. Now shall you see what I will do to Pharaoh, for with a strong hand shall he let them go, and with a strong hand shall he drive them out of his hand, out of his land. And God spoke unto Moses and said unto him, I am the Lord. And I appeared unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob, by the name of God Almighty, but by my name Jehovah was I not known to them. And I've also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land of their pilgrimage, wherein they were strangers. And I've also heard the groaning of the children of Israel, whom the Egyptians keep in bondage. And I've remembered my covenant. Wherefore say unto the children of Israel, I am the Lord, and I'll bring you out from under the burden of the Egyptians, and I'll rid you out of their bondage, and I'll redeem you with a stretched out arm and with great judgments how far are we reading verse 7 and i'll take you to me for a people i'll be to you a god and you shall know that i am the lord your god which brings you out from under the burdens of the egyptians and i'll bring you in unto the land concerning the which i did swear to give to abraham to isaac and to jacob and i'll give it you for a heritage i am the lord and again capitalize now as we read through this passage the Lord is actually giving so much information about his desire, his plan, his will, and that is to have this relationship with people as God always wanted from the very beginning. And now with the children of Israel, says, I've appeared unto them as God Almighty, El Shaddai, for those who study the names of God, of which there are quite a number given to us through the scriptures here. But uh, in this instance, he says, by the name of God Almighty, I've revealed myself as an all-powerful God, a mighty God, able to keep his promises, wanting to keep his promises. But he says, by my name, Jehovah, this is one of the four places in which the word Jehovah is actually used. And I was not known to them by this name, but now I will reveal myself as Jehovah, I'll bring you out from under the burdens. I'll be a personal God that will lead this children of Israel out from their challenges and difficulties and give them the land of promise that I swear unto Abraham, to Isaac and Jacob. This is the relationship God desires with mankind to deliver them from their problems, to give them a new life, a new way in which they can relate directly with him and as a result, enjoy that relationship and the benefit of it. And this is introduced to us through these words that we read here in Exodus chapter 6. The meaning of that word, the self-existent one, four letters, but so powerful 
in that it's a relationship between God and mankind. And as we've heard in testimony today, we know it comes to us through the receiving of the Holy Spirit when we're born again into the kingdom of God to enjoy this relationship with the Lord. Uh, In Exodus 19, just the last part here in the early part of the Bible, Exodus 19, just to illustrate a little bit further this special relationship in verse 1. In the third month when the children of Israel were gone forth out of the land of Egypt, the same day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. For they were departed from Rephidim and were come to the desert of Sinai and had pitched in the wilderness and there Israel camped before the mount. And Moses went up unto God and the Lord called him out of the mountain saying, Thus shall you say unto the house of Jacob and tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did unto the Egyptians and how I bear you on eagles' wings and brought you unto myself. Now therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then you shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak unto the children of Israel. So God is saying to his nation here that he's redeemed from Egypt. He's taken them. If you think about what's happened here, they've gone into slavery in Egypt. If you think about what their future was, there was no hope for them. There was no way that things were going to change. They were slaves to the Egyptians. They were made to work. They were uh, people that had no heritage, as it were, at that point in time, if you look at it purely naturally, except God, the self-existent one, had made this promise to them. And at some time, God was going to fulfill that promise. And now he has, redeeming them, bringing them out of Egypt, through the Red Sea, and showing them the way to the land of promise that was given to them. Wonderful words are given to us here in verse 4. You have seen what I did unto the Egyptians in destroying them and leaving them behind. How I bear you on eagles' wings and brought you unto myself. In other words, this isn't what you did. It was not in your own strength. I lifted you up and I carried you, the Lord is saying. I gave you the ability. I led you and showed you this way. In verse 5, that if you obey my voice, he says, and you keep my covenant, if you stay established in this relationship that we have, you will be unto me a peculiar treasure. And uh, this uh, uh, is an interesting word. It's one word, peculiar treasure. It means a special jewel, highly valued property. You will be something of such great value to me if you obey my word, if you stay in this special relationship that uh, is now established. And so that was the calling of Israel. Sadly, we know that uh, they weren't able to uphold their side of it. They fell into idolatry and uh, ultimately they broke that covenant relationship with God. Um, Yeah, very sad story, but then it paved way, of course, for salvation through Jesus Christ, as we read in the New Testament, turn up to the book of Psalm. I just want to Psalms. So I just want to look at one uh, verse here that's made 
a lot of by one particular church. Psalm 83. And the verse I want is the last verse here, verse 18. It says that men may know that though uh, thou, whose name alone is Jehovah, art the most high over all the earth. This is uh, second of the four times in which the word Jehovah is actually used in the scriptures. And uh, for those familiar, the church calling themselves the Jehovah's Witnesses take this verse and they name their church after this. And as a result, they've gone right through the whole of the Bible and changed everywhere where the word uh, Lord is used or the name of God to Jehovah. Um, because they say this verse means God's name alone is Jehovah. It's actually not what this verse is saying, and I'll read it to you from another translation in the Bible, or of the Bible. It says, Then they will learn that you alone are called the Lord, that you alone are the Most High, supreme over all the earth. And that's the important point that has been brought to us here, that there's only one God entitled to be called Jehovah, the self-existent one, the one that was there in the beginning and the one that will be there uh, at the end, the Alpha and Omega, if you like, uh, that uh, this is the Lord God that is being referred to here and the importance of this verse as it's brought to us. Turn to First Kings chapter 18, back a little bit here. First Kings 18, um, I'd love to read the whole story, but time doesn't allow us, unfortunately. So you might like to read the chapter at your leisure, but uh, we read about Israel uh, in a time in which uh, Ahab is reigning as king. For those who know their Bible, first thing you'll know is that Ahab was not a good king. He had a wife who knows his wife's name. Jezebel, very good. And uh, Jezebel was not such a good lady either, as it turned out. And uh, they worshipped Baal. Baal is another name that means Lord, out of interest, um, but uh, completely different to the Lord God. It was uh, a, a God of other nations that Israel adopted the worship of. And, of course, this offended the true and living God who was in a covenant relationship with Israel. So uh, it led to problems for the nation of Israel. So uh, Ahab meets with Elijah and he sought to kill Elijah. And Elijah didn't want to go near Ahab until such a time as the Lord said, it's okay, I will look after you. And we read uh, in verse 17, and it came to pass when Ahab saw Elijah that Ahab said unto him, Are you he that troubles Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house, and that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and you have followed Balaam. And Baal, the Lord, are the Lord. And in verse 19, uh, Elijah continues here and he says, The prophet of the Lord, Now therefore send and gather to me all Israel unto Mount Carmel, and the prophets of Baal 450, and the prophets of the groves 400, which eat at Jezebel's table. So altogether 950 prophets are told to gather together, and a challenge 
is said in verse 21. Uh, here's the challenge. Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt you between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him, Not a word. Now you might notice here again, the word Lord is capitalised. Again, it's a contrast that's been given between the Lord and, in this case, Baal. If you're confused, then a challenge is set here, let the God that answers by fire be the real God. And the challenge is placed by Elijah, take your sacrifice, call upon your God, Baal, if you think he's the one, then let's see if he can produce fire that consumes the sacrifice. And then he said, I'll do the same and we'll see which God actually answers. Uh, that uh, summarises about the next 15 verses to save reading through all of that. And, of course, there's no answer to uh, the prophets of Baal as they call upon uh, Baal and nothing happens. Uh, we know that Elijah begins to mock the prophets of Baal and say, well, is your God asleep? Uh, is he gone on a journey and he's not here to be able to answer you? Uh, and all these things. And then Elijah eventually takes a bullock, cuts it up, places it on the altar, pours water over it three times so that there can be no sense of, well, this is just an accident that happened somehow. And uh, as we read, uh, let's pick it up in verse 36, and it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac and Israel, which God did he call upon? The God that established his covenant with Abraham, fulfilled his promise to Abraham, to Isaac and Israel. Israel, his name is Jacob. So the same God Almighty, but also the Lord, as we read there, the Lord God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me that this people may know that you are the Lord God and that you have turned their heart back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, he is the God. The Lord, he is the God. And uh, the uh, proof there, if you like, is in the experience that took place. Elijah, representing the true and the living God, called upon the name of the Lord and the name of the Lord or the God that he called upon is the one that then answered by fire. And we might look at this and say, it's a wonderful Old Testament story, but what's that got to do with us today? And it's the same principle that plays out in the lives of people today. We're told that people will be filled with the Holy Ghost and fire. Of course, we read of that. Maybe let's just turn up there, Matthew chapter 3. When uh, Jesus came to John to be baptised, then uh, John said, I need to be baptised by you. We read of it in verse 11. 
I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that comes after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I'm not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. The purging effect of fire, the cleansing effect of fire in our life, the likening here to the Holy Ghost infilling that we've heard uh, in testimony from two, and of course is our testimony in the church here in the Revival Fellowship. Uh, the Bible tells us that we must be born again to enter into the kingdom of God. We must be born of water and of the Spirit, John chapter 3, verse 3 and verse 5. I'm quoting from there, and that as we are infilled with the Holy Ghost, there's a power that comes into our life. There's a cleansing that takes place. There's a purging in our life. The example that we're given back in First Kings chapter 18 is no accident, speaking in parallel to the New Testament experience of being filled with God's Holy Spirit and what God will do in our life. The God that answers by fire. We go out, we share the gospel with people, we talk to them about our experience and what God is doing in our life and we can testify of the miracles, of the change that God brings about of a living God that's come inside now through the power of the Holy Ghost and is performing miracles in our life, bringing about change for us. We had problems in our life, God is solving those things for us. We have needs in our life that we bring before the Lord in prayer, we call upon the name of the Lord and we see him answer our prayers. Actually, I'm not sure if I've got it here, but I've got a piece of paper. Do you mind grabbing my Bible cover there? Thanks, Dave. Hopefully I can find it. Um, it might have come up. Yesterday I gave a, a short talk in the meeting, uh, the prayer of fast down in Melbourne. And uh, just before I did, I, I was just speaking about uh, miracles and uh, God's work in our life. And I just quickly looked at the revival on the air. Uh, some may not know what I'm talking about there. It's a podcast that's available on any podcast app that you can uh, quickly find. And it's uh, testimonies of people and the work of God in their lives. And I just jotted down some of the miracles that it speaks about or people speak about and share as they've been filled with the Holy Spirit and the fire of God changing their lives. Uh, and here's a list of them, just some of them, that is. Depression being completely healed. Post-traumatic stress disorder completely healed. Deep vein thrombosis completely healed. Uh, cancerous melanoma, that growth on, um, what's his name's head? Noel, that's right, on his head dead, completely healed by the grace of God. Um, drug addictions being completely taken away, a number of people in that situation. No withdrawal, no need for intervention, no other replacement drugs to help them through and so on. Protection from a major car accident when a truck plows into a car and, uh, uh, just incredible uh, protection for the family in that situation. Another man healed of uh, testicular cancer and uh, uh, on his deathbed again, but God raised him up and completely healed him of it. Um, a, a number of people healed of a stroke. Um, a, a lady healed of uh, severe eczema that just wouldn't go away. Um, not so much a healing, but the happiest person on the planet, a lady that... Uh, had dialysis because of kidney failure for over 50 years, the longest ever patient to go through dialysis, I believe in the world, and yet she was just the happiest lady despite that. 
um, healing from mental illness, healing from brain tumours, uh, healing uh, from not being able to have children, uh, healing of back injuries and broken vertebrae, uh, marriages being healed, glaucoma being healed in the eye, uh, anger being taken away, anxiety being completely healed, celiac disease completely healed. They're just some of the benefits that we see when we're filled with God's Holy Spirit of what God can do in our lives. It's our testimony in the church, the Revival Fellowship. We're not the only ones, but by the grace of God, the truth of God's word, calling upon the name of the Lord, the living God, it works. It's how we receive the Holy Ghost and it's how God then continues to work in our life through this way. Um, let's skip down Psalm 144. Again, we might just need to cut this a little bit short. When we're new in the Lord, it's uh, often trying to work out how all this works. I hear it, but how do I bring that to bear in my life? How can I make this more active? And sometimes in our walk in the Lord, we get into stages where we think, I haven't seen as many miracles lately in my life. How do I get myself stirred up to see this once more? And here in Psalm 144, in verse 1, it says, Blessed be the Lord my strength, which teaches my hands to war and my fingers to fight. We might uh, read uh, that verse and we might say, well, where's the boxing gloves? Where's the uh, uh, perhaps the weapons that I need to use? Have you got an AK-47 for me or something else? As the kind of weaponry that we need to learn. It's got nothing to do with what this verse is talking about. Uh, this verse is talking about how we rely on the Lord, how we learn to trust in the living God, how we learn to call upon the name of the Lord, the God of miracles, the God of wonders, the God that uh, heals, the God that gives promises and fulfills those promises in our life. That's the warfare that we're interested in. Keep your finger here, turn up to Second Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and we read in verse 4. Sorry, just for time, I'll read it through fairly quickly here. Maybe verse 3. It says, Though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty, through God, to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and brings into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Ultimately, what the Lord wants us to do is to learn to rely on him. We've got a need in our life, pray about it. We've got uh, something going on, don't know how to deal about it. Yes, pray, seek the Lord about it. But let's take encouragement from the word of God. Let's listen to a testimony. Let's be encouraged in what God has done in other people's lives and bring that to bear in our lives. We're a powerful people filled with God's Holy Spirit. And all the people said, we're a people that believe in the living God. We're a people that have this covenant relationship with God, the self-existent one that established it through Jesus Christ in the New Testament. We'll look at that in a moment. Come back to uh, uh, where were we? Psalm 144. Have you got your finger there? In verse 2, it says, My goodness and my fortress, my high tower and my deliverer, my shield and in him whom I trust, who subdues my people under me, 
Lord, what is man that you take knowledge of him, or the son of man that you make account of him? Man is like to vanity, his days are as a shadow that passes away. Bow the heavens, O Lord, and come down. Touch the mountains, and they shall smoke. Cast forth lightning and scatter them. Shoot out your arrows and destroy them. Send your hand from above. Rid me and deliver me out of the great waters from the hand of the strange children, whose mouth speaks vanity, and their right hand is a right hand of falsehood. I will sing a new song unto you, O God, upon a psaltery, and an instrument of ten strings will I sing praises unto you. It is he that gives salvation unto kings, who delivers David his servant from the hurtful sword. Rid me, and deliver me from the hand of strange children, whose mouth speak vanity, and their right hand is a right hand of falsehood. That our sons may be as plants grown up uh, in their youth, that our daughters may be as cornerstones polished after the similitude of a palace. And he has a good description of how your daughters should look. I'm going to take that one in a little bit. In verse 13, that our garners may be full of fording all manner of store, that our sheep may bring forth thousands and ten thousands in our streets, that our oxen may be strong to labour, that there be no breaking in nor going out, that there be no complaining in our streets. Happy is that people that is in such a case. Yea, happy is that people whose God is the capitalised Lord, the one that now has a relationship with this God. It's you and I that today, born again, filled with God's Holy Spirit, have a relationship with this living God that's come into our life and started a wonderful work in each of us and will continue to perform that work until the day that Jesus Christ returns. Uh, John chapter 5, as much we could go through there, but uh, we won't for time. John chapter 5, I mentioned that this word Lord, this word Lord is not used in um, the New Testament, which it isn't, uh, but we read something interesting here in John chapter 5 and starting in verse 25, it says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God. And they that hear shall live. For as the Father has life in himself, so has he given to the Son to have life in himself. And he has given authority, or given him authority to execute judgment also, because he is the Son of Man. Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in which all that are in the graves shall hear his voice, and shall come forth they that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. And uh, uh, Jesus here is speaking, of course, and he's speaking about judgment to come and how all of us must stand before the judgment seat of God. We read of that in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 also. It's every single man on this earth is going to face that judgment at some point in their life. Some to everlasting life, as it says, some to uh, judgment. Here in um, uh, verse 26, I think it is, and 27, I just want to read those two verses to you from the Amplified Bible. It says, For just as the Father has life in himself and is self-existent, even so he is given to the Son to have life in himself and to be self 
self-existent. So Jesus Christ is the self-existent one today. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is a son of man, sinless humanity, qualifying him to sit in judgment over mankind. So Jesus Christ, if you like, took the place of God in the relationship that he has with people today through the Holy Ghost that has been sent back. Jesus Christ is the one that makes the way available for us to have this relationship with the Lord God as we enjoy today. Turn to Acts chapter 2. Last scriptures here, Acts chapter 2, and starting in verse 33. So this is the day of Pentecost, continuation of the day in which um, maybe just... uh, for time, it was uh, mentioned twice by Dallas earlier on. Not by Dallas, sorry, by Peter in sharing his testimony. In verse 4, I should just read there, it says, They were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. That's where Peter was quoting from, from his own experience, as God filled him with the Holy Ghost. This caused quite a stir in uh, Jerusalem, as we can read in the uh, verses that follow here. Peter stands up, he explains the events that have taken place and then in verse 33 he says, Therefore being by the right hand of God exalted and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he has shed forth this which you now see and hear as he refers back to the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. 120 people sitting in an upper room all praying together for about seven days. The Holy Ghost is poured out They all begin to speak in tongues. As I say, there's quite a stir there. Peter's explaining what's taken place and he says this, uh, how does he describe it? This uh, is the promise of the Holy Ghost. He has shed forth this which you now see and hear. In verse 34, for David is not ascended into the heavens, but he said, uh, he saith himself, the Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou on my right hand until I make your foes your footstool. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this same Jesus whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. And the word used there is different, the word Lord. It's the New Testament version of the word. Um, But you might uh, just take it as saying, he is the Lord that was spoken of back in the Old Testament, the one that desires the covenant relationship with his people. He's also the Christ, the anointed saviour of the world that came to lay down his life to make a way possible that we could have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ and then the infilling of the Holy Spirit. In verse 37, now when they heard this, They were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children, to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. It's a promise that extends to this day. Nothing has changed from these words that we're reading here. It's not an experience, as some would say, that died out with the early disciples or apostles. 
It's not something that ended at the end of the first century AD. It's not something that has been lost over time or it wasn't something that was just meant to share the gospel for those few uh, early years of the church or anything like that. As we read here, the promise is to you, to your children, to all that are far off, whether that's further afield or whether it's in time, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And in verse 40, with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Here's the escape route that's given to us. Here's the way to get out of this life into eternal life. That is, be born again. You're baptised, receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, you'll speak in tongues, and you'll have this relationship with the Lord God of the Bible. And all the people said, Amen. Amen. 